everyone. Welcome to the Wrong Kind of Christian Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Martin, and today is a special day. We are in the final chapter, chapter four of our study of Ruth. I hope you guys have been following along, and if you haven't, I hope you'll go back and give the first three chapters a listen. There's a reason why I called it a great love story when we began, and I think you'll miss some pieces if you don't get the whole story. I know it's taken us a while to get here, but I just think it's so cool to see God at work. We have the benefit of having hindsight here, but we can really see God moving the pieces to make it all come together. A true story of how God works it all for good. How else do we go from three childless widows in chapter one to a unifying marriage that will eventually usher in some of the biblical greats and our Redeemer? So, you know, our last chapter, we left off with Boaz heading off to handle the business of hopefully becoming Ruth's guardian Redeemer. And Ruth, well, she's sitting on pins and needles, waiting to hear the outcome, right? Naomi is trying to console her and, you know, lower her anxiety level. But like we said last week, this isn't just a guardian redeemer situation. As our teens would say today, um, these two caught feelings. We already know the general outcome, but let's dive into chapter four and see how God finishes bringing it all together. Chapter four, verses one and two say, Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said, sit here. And they did so. So remember in the last chapter, Boaz told Ruth, hey, I want to be this person for you, but you know, there's someone else who actually has the right before I do. And remember, Boaz is... Boaz all the way to his core. He he was a man of character, like true character. And and so he wouldn't just go along with his desires when it came to uh to to be in the guardian redeemer, not when it's all, you know, maybe not necessarily on the up and up. So Boaz leaves in the morning and he heads up to the city gate. And the city gate, that's that's really just a place where the the most esteemed and honorable men kind of gathered every day. It's not like, you know, like the donut shop today where the old men gather to talk about the town gossip every morning. It was more like these men acted like a mixture of like a city council and a courtroom. So so Boaz knew what he was doing, didn't he? he? He's taken a seat with these men who could potentially someday need to know that he did the right thing. Now, Boaz was definitely doing everything as he should, but that doesn't mean that he didn't give himself a little, you know, extra advantage. Remember in chapter three, Boaz told everyone on the threshing floor not to speak about Ruth being there in the night. Boaz didn't give his competition any hint of a prior warning that this was coming. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus told his disciples that he was sending them out to be sheep among wolves, and they therefore needed to be as shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. And while that situation is so very, very different from the situation at hand here in Ruth chapter 4, I think there was a bit of shrewdness to Boaz. If you've ever worked as part of a council or on a board of any sort, you may have had a similar experience as my husband and I have both had. There's inevitably someone on the board who wants to know how you're going to vote on certain matters ahead of time, not so that they know whether or not you're in agreement with them, but so that they can have some extra time to try to come up with a way to negate your opinion on the matter. After spending some time serving on a board with a person like that, you you learn to stop sharing info ahead of time, not because you want to be difficult, but because you don't want to give the other person any extra time to come up with something to use against you. And Boaz had a similar understanding here. Yes, there was another man who could have been Ruth's guardian redeemer. 
However, Boaz loved her and he wanted to fulfill that duty. And in order to give himself that best possible chance, he worked to give himself the element of surprise. Nothing wrong with that, but very shrewd indeed. Verses three and four. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know, for no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. If this seems like a strange segue to uh, to begin a conversation about Ruth, remember, the Guardian Redeemer was about more than just preserving the family name and continuing the line. It's also about property. It was about making sure that the land that was assigned to each tribe when the promised land was divided up stays in that tribe. That way, one tribe wouldn't eventually be the only tribe, right? So in fact, it's it's so important to them that they even had a law that the land could never be permanently sold. Every 50 years, it had to be passed back to the original tribe that owned it and to the original family group that owned it within that tribe. So it makes sense that this is where Boaz would start. He's still playing his cards close to the chest, right? A piece of land is something that any man would have been interested in. I I read this with an image of like a fisherman in my head, like he's thrown out the bait and the fish just took a bite and now he's going to reel him in. Verse five says, then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. See, the guardian redeemer who had priority would have known that Naomi was beyond the age of conceiving children, and so because of that, he wasn't required to marry her. But Boaz surprised him when he mentions Ruth, a woman who is able to marry and conceive. And it would have been understood by all of the men sitting there that this isn't a pick one situation. You know, this is a package deal. If you're going to buy the land, you're also going to marry Ruth the Moabite. You don't get to just pick one and not the other. And and suddenly the decision wasn't such an easy one for the, uh, the one who had priority. Verse six says, at this, the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. And that was the statement that everyone was waiting on, right? It's really likely that the man who uh, who was the closer relative was even older than Boaz himself. And that really meant that he probably already had a wife and possibly even had grown sons. And if this is the case, then the inheritance had already been split amongst his children. Not to mention, you know, <laughs> suddenly you bring home an additional wife added to the mix. That, that probably wasn't going to go over so well. If he has more children, the inheritance would need to be split in a different manner, and and that would just be a major complication. So the man decided that the headache of going through all of this, this change, wasn't worth the value of the property. It sounds all very transactional, which makes me all the more happy that it didn't work out that way because this man had no care at all for Ruth in any way. And actually, it's believed by many that his name is never mentioned in the story because he didn't fulfill his duty. It was almost dishonorable of him not to um, not to accept his position as the guardian redeemer. But, you know, it all worked out in the end. So now we get to a little strange custom. Even strange at the time that this story is being recorded. So the author went ahead and he explained it for us. And it stems from the book of Deuteronomy, but in Ruth chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, it says... Now in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, 
one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. There's actually a bit more to this redemption and transaction ceremony than what is mentioned here. In the book of Deuteronomy, it describes that this took place when a man decides not to redeem the property and therefore the wife. The man would exchange his sandal, and if there was any dishonor involved, the woman would spit in his face. Ew, right? It's assumed that um, because there was no spitting mentioned in Ruth chapter 4, in this particular case, there wasn't going to be any kind of dishonor. Because Boaz, who was next in line, he he did want her and he was going to redeem her. And now we see the real reason why Boaz chose to do this at the city gate. Verses 9 and 10. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilian, and Milan. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Milan's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are witnesses. So now the transaction has been legally sealed. Boaz and Ruth are free to marry. And of course, Boaz gets the land too. When um, when I was researching this particular section, several Bible scholars tied it to Uh, to the conversation that some have about not actually having a marriage ceremony, it's becoming more and more commonplace today to be okay just living together as a married couple without actually being a married couple. And I actually link it to the same conversation about baptism. Baptism isn't required to be saved, but there's something about being willing to publicly proclaim that Jesus is Lord that kind of seals the deal, you know? It means something. And I think that it's the same way for a marriage. There's something about being willing to publicly proclaim your love for this other person in front of witnesses. Verses 11 and 12 offer a blessing on this union from the elders. It says, Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, May your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Clearly, the people hanging out at the city gate were in favor of this union, and clearly so was God. He orchestrated this whole thing, and from the moment Ruth declared Naomi's God to be her God, and Naomi's people to be her people, this was coming. Verse 13, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. Okay, this son was the first blessing. Not only did the son carry on Elimelech's family line, he was just the first in a long line of blessings. Verses 14 through 16 tell us how Naomi's life, not just Ruth's, but Naomi's life, finished out. Verse 14 says, The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. Do you guys remember Mara of chapter 2? Where is she now? There isn't any bitterness left in Naomi. She has recognized that God took care of her when she turned back to him. And isn't it crazy just how quickly God can change our life circumstances? We can be lost, floating through life, just trying to figure it all out. And when we turn to him, he is always faithful to bring us in. He may not always make life easy for us, but he has a plan. And he really can take all the bad and use it for good. 
let's finish up our chapter four and our study here. Ruth chapter four, verses 17 through 22 say, the women living there said, Naomi has a son and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Then this is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Abinadab, Abinadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David. And that is the very last verse in our book. And remember though, Perez was mentioned in the blessing given to Boaz and Ruth upon their marriage. We pick up this family line right now here in verse 22. Boaz is the father of Obed. That's where we are. Obed will someday become the father of Jesse, and Jesse will become the father of David, King David, whom we know has a direct descendant named Jesus. Funny how God works sometimes, isn't it? It's always amazing to me how he can use me despite my failures, or maybe I should say in spite of my failures. He can use me despite my weaknesses, my struggles, my past. He can use me and he can use you. Despite anything in your past or present, he can use you. And because he is our ultimate guardian redeemer, he can redeem you from slavery too. He can draw you back to him with just one step on your part, one decision to change your life, one prayer said in a moment of desperation. I know I said it last week, and I'll continue to say it to you guys. You're not too late. You haven't moved too far away. He's still there waiting for you. And if you've already taken that step back to God, trust in the knowledge that he's going to work in you and through you, even if you're not seeing it. Boaz and Ruth, they didn't get to see it. They didn't get to see the blessing that came from their love story. And we might not get to see ours either, but God knows, and he's working it all out. We just have to be listening for his nudges and be willing to let him in. Are you willing? Are you willing? I hope that as we've gone through this study of Ruth, you've understood that this love story was about so much more than just romance. Ruth is a love story for sure. It's about the amazing love of God for his people. It's about the kind of love that most families only wish they had. And yeah, it's a little bit about romance. We'll be moving on to something completely new and different next week, and I am looking forward to starting that with all of you. So I will talk to you then. Bye.